You're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petschy. Come on in. Have a seat. How's it going? What's new? What are you doing these days? Do you try out that new restaurant? How are those tacos? Any good? Are you making anything? I mean, we're, we're in the midst. We're still in the writer's strike, which essentially means that Hollywood is pretty much shut down. They're not, they're not taking in new concepts. They're not listening to new pitches right now because they're not allowed to from a lot of us. And so for many people in this business, um, they're lost at this point. They're sort of floating and they're like, what do I do? How do I fill my time? Like, what's the most important thing to do? Uh, technically, you're not supposed to be writing for studios, but are you writing personal projects right now? Uh, have you met with some friends and are you guys making some content right now? Um, are you uh, maybe looking into writing for a different medium? Maybe you're going to go write for comic books or uh, podcasts or something like that. I mean, there are so many different ways to tell a story out there. And many of you listening to the show, especially those of you tuning in today, I'm sure each and every one of you have, in one form or another, a need, a passion, an urgency to tell a story. And maybe it's based upon uh, an event that you went through, like with me and my head injury, and that's sort of stimulating the whole 12 cam story. Or maybe uh, you were standing in line at the DMV and you saw these interesting characters and you were like, that person, what, are they, what is their story? And you sit there and you imagine while you people watch where these people are, who they come from. <laughs> See how I swap that around, my dyslexia? Who these people are and where they come from. Uh, or, you know, maybe... Uh, your story, where you came up, how you grew up, you don't feel like has ever been told the right way, and you're the person to do it. Well, it's my hope with our show and with today's episode, we will inspire you to think about writing in different ways, to think about how to prepare yourself for our industry, to sort of think about how to do it differently uh, and find success. And I'm excited about our guest today. Um, it was suggested to me by a mutual friend of ours, uh, our buddy Frankie, who I'm sure if you're listening to the show, thanks so much, man. He was right. He's like, I think you and your guest today would really get along. And uh, she's got great stories to tell. She's a successful screenwriter. She's worked for television. Uh, she also writes comic books. Uh, and she's got such an interesting origin story, where she comes from, where she went to school, that whole process, she gets into all of it. Uh, and then her and I really sort of, uh, like we, we, we get into it deep on like how we create and how I create as a director and how she creates as a writer. And we try to sort of tackle what I think is like a big void in this business right now and something that you can't really learn just by watching tutorials on YouTube. It's how to make these human connections, how to set up these relationships that essentially stick with you for your whole career. And most importantly, how to build an audience. Olivia Quartero Briggs is on the show and uh, she has been a staff writer on shows like Queen of the South. She was on Arrangement, which was an original series on E! Entertainment. Uh, she was an assistant on Criminal Minds Beyond Borders, and she also writes comic books. Uh, she is doing uh, a series that I just started reading, uh, which has been around for a little while, called Silver City, and I really dig it. It's got, and I think she kind of rolls her eyes because she gets this all the time, but it's got a lot of Dark City tones. Remember that movie Dark City in it? Um, and it's about a character, this woman who is a roughneck, who gets essentially thrown into the afterlife and the adventure picks up there and it's 
really fucking great. I started reading that book last night and I'm multiple issues in and uh, it's going to be one of my regular reads. So I'm excited to talk to her about that book on today's show. But before we get into it, I want to thank everybody for following me on Instagram. I'm Mike Petchy and thank you for following the podcast at In Love With The Process, P-O-D on Instagram. I have been doing new posts. I have been putting things up there. I've been talking about uh, how I'm putting together treatments with my deep dive into mid-journey, right? The AI tech. Um, We talk a bit about it on the show. Me and Olivia talk about how I use that on the show as well and how you can be using uh, technology as a tool to help clarify your vision for the people that you want to work with. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, thank you everybody for following me there. I Big shout out, and we'll talk about this a little later on the show, but big shout out to everybody who has been picking up uh, podcast merch. I have been trying to get it all out to you all. Uh, I've been signing shirts. I've been signing prints. Uh, I've been sending out uh, signed copies of scripts. Uh, all that stuff has gone out to you all. Thank you so much for supporting me. And if you guys want, I still have a stack of t-shirts kicking around. If you guys want a shirt for the show, I have like those uh, hand-drawn um, storyboard shirts that I did for In Love With The Process. I still have a bunch of those there. Just send me a message on Instagram and let me know and uh, we'll work it out. I will uh, sign it, ship it to you directly from me. Um, and it's a big thank you to those of you who support the show. I love all of you. And uh, I, yeah, let's just get into it. I don't want to draw this out. Let's let's find a good track because uh, Olivia and I are going to dig deep into the world of screenwriting, into what it takes to be a professional screenwriter in Hollywood, into what it takes to be uh, a screenwriter, or I'm sorry, the writer of comic books and how uh, she made the transition to comic books and why she made the transition to comic books and what it's like to work in that medium and the things that influence her in that medium. There's a lot of really fun stuff here. So uh, if you're a young writer, if you're a young filmmaker, strap yourselves in uh, and get ready for an in-depth conversation on the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Thanks for being on the show. How are you? Um, I'm great. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited <laughs> that you're here. Uh, but our fr- like a mutual friend 
was uh, the one that suggested to get you on the show, and uh, I'm happy he did because I wasn't uh, familiar with your comic book work. And uh, last night I was reading Silver City, and I, I being a, a comic book nerd, oh, wow. being a nerd in that in that world, I really enjoy the setup. Really enjoy the vibes of that. Being a big nerd of like Dark City, I really enjoy what it is that you're doing with that. So I'm excited to chat, man. Oh well, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I've gotten I've gotten the Dark City of it all uh, many times. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is like kind of like fun and also really weird because uh, it was definitely not anything that inspired the uh, the, the comic book. Um, but it's kind of fun when you when you step in it, especially with something that's like that well known, and you're like, oh great, yeah, like I'll use this <laughs> to, to people now. So thank you. Um, <laughs> It's totally accidental. Um, I feel like I have to let you and listeners know that um, I'm in my garage because my partner and I just got a Sphinx kitten yesterday, which is like the bougiest pet you could possibly get. But it's like been my partner's dream pet forever. So we finally got the kitten. The kitten will not stop crying. Um, So (laughs) I had to escape. Which is like, it's like adorable, but also horrible at the same time, because like, it's calling for like, it's mother and siblings that we took it away from. And like, now we like step in front of it and pick it up and are like, you know, I'm your mama now. Um, (laughs) Brutal. And how it works. Um, So that's why I'm in the garage. But in the garage, there are two rabbits. (laughs) that hate one another and are in separate cages. So you will hear like scratching and like that very recognizable, if you ever had hamsters sound. Yes. Of a small animal, like licking that metal ball of a, of a water dispenser. So that's what that is. Like, it's not me. I don't have some sort of crazy skin condition where I'm like scratching myself all the time. I like to imagine that's how you get your water is that you have one of those giant, Dispensers. <laughs> Every once in a while, you're like, "Hold on a second. <laughs> uh, well, I will say, I will, I will, I will counter that with, I am sitting in a space right now with uh, my girlfriend. Uh, has been. Yeah, uh, here's the deal. I'm deathly allergic to dogs and cats, and so oh. when she decided to be in a relationship with me, she sort of signed off. On the fact that she would never be able to have a dog or a cat, which for her was, you know, was <laughs> I almost didn't make it. Let's just put it that way. I wow, almost, you must be worth it because yeah. that's sad. That's some sad business right there. Can you take a Claritin? Come on. Can I say just, under, people just don't understand how it works. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what she has done is she's done the research and she's like, all right, I need something. I need to find a pet and I need something that engages. I need something that like shows love and responds with love uh, that you're not allergic to. And so we tested me with a hundred different things. And so what we finally have is a cage with two rats in it right now. So we are rat owners and they are pretty fucking adorable little dogs. They actually act like little dogs, which is great. But judging by your silence. (laughs) No, I'm thinking so many things right now because, um, I wrote an entire book about a New York City subway rat mm. um, that I'm I'm really hoping to get published. Um, I just got a fantastic agent in the publishing space, not comic books, although she can handle some of that. Um, but uh, like like books, like proper novels. Nice. 
Um, so she has it, but yeah, I mean, I think rats are completely underestimated. They're actually very intelligent and yes. can be uh, really affectionate. Um, so that's what I was thinking. And then I was also thinking that it's like so coincidental because this Sphinx kitten like looks like a rat. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the bald rat running around the house. It's, he's so tiny Ugh. and so loud. But yeah, so no, I was thinking a lot of things. But like, I, I love that. Like in her, in your girlfriend's mind, she was probably like fantasizing about like her perfect man, and they'd have this like <laughs> yeah. you know yellow lab that bounds into the room, and you snuggle with, and like what she ended up with was two rats in a cage <laughs> and me <laughs> and you. She's yeah. like, I'm dying for affection. She's starved for affection, Mike. That she's settling for two rats. She's in a cage. like, give me some rodents, please, anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, true. Your relationship is going well. It sounds great. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. We are. I am now a rat daddy, and she she likes to call me. So uh, we've had these things now for a couple weeks, and uh, they're pretty great. She did like uh, all like that crazy lunatic like hunting for where she gets them. Who's who's she getting them from? You're not really rescuing rats i guess i mean it's not like you're you know leaving a trap outside and then bringing in some la rats so she looked pretty hard to yeah, find that sounds ill-advised yeah <laughs> um yeah yeah so it's crazy it's fun i haven't like being a kid that has been see my i don't know how we got off of this tangent but we're on it uh my <laughs> my allergies trigger my asthma so being a kid oh, yeah. I, I would just lose the ability to breathe so i've never had like we've had birds, we've had you know gerbils and hamsters. All they do is eat, you know. Um, but these things, they hang out, so it's kind of cool. Being That's a- awesome. Yeah. Congratulations, yeah. Rat Daddy. That's very cool. <laughs> I, I can see the tattoo materializing in my mind. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so you you wrote a book about a rat, huh? That's cool. What what, stimu- what stimulated from, that? Uh, my first real novel, the first quote unquote novel that I wrote, I wrote in third grade. I was very proud of myself. It is very <laughs> boring and uh, there's a lot of misspellings. Let me tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, the first real novel that I wrote uh, was, yeah, it's a story about a curmudgeon subway rat um, who kind of ends up uh, rediscovering his life's purpose when a, a, a baby gets lost in the New York City subway system. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And he has to take care of her. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully, um, you know, can get that can get that out there into the world. But, yeah, that's on a whole other side of of what I do, mm-hmm. um, which has turned into kind of a multi pronged thing. I mean, you mentioned the comic books um, and I've written uh, a couple of novels now that will hopefully make their way out into the world. Mm-hmm. Comic books has been gangbusters. Um it, it's so interesting that you're, you know, people are still mentioning Silver City, and it's because I haven't had anything published since, which is really kind of crazy. Um, because the, I should have had two more books out a while ago. What, ha- what happened uh, with Aftershock? Um, Aftershock Comics uh, recently went bankrupt, so oh. Bram Stoker Monster Hunter was supposed to premiere. 
um, on February 1st. Um, but, you know, of course, they have to go through all of the bankruptcy mishigas to even figure yeah. out like what order in which they are able to like publish things and get people paid and all of that. Um, so that's been delayed. Uh, but I'm being told that it should come out this fall or this winter. Um, but I wrote that ages ago. Um, I'm super proud of it, though. It's a great book. Yep. Also, another um, book with them that hasn't been announced yet, but it's my first horror, and it takes place in the Dominican Republic, which I'm really, really proud of. Cool. Uh, and I currently have. Um, I'm actually. Oh, I can. I can say this now. I can officially say this that I am the writer of the new comic book um, incarnation of the Winx saga. Huh. No shit. Eight. Yeah. Uh, which is a continuation of the series that Netflix canceled. <laughs> um, so when I got it, they were like, well, uh, I guess you get to just write season three now. Um, so I was like, well, that's dope. Cause I write for TV also. So yeah, so I'm the writer of, I just uh, sent them the rough draft of the, the first draft of uh, the first complete book. Yep. Um, and hopefully I'll be working on more with those guys. Um, I have a book going with um, humanoids right now that I'm really excited about. It's my first it's kind of a classic monster that I'm working with um, Jake Thomas on over there. And he's fantastic. Cool. Um, a book of mine, uh, my first YA um, is in the works. It's being illustrated right now, and that's with Oni Press. Hold on. So when you say so when you say YA, that's young adult media, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's a it's a young adult comic book, a little murder mystery. Um, Roberta in Granada is doing the illustrations on that. She's a fantastic artist. She did my covers for Silver City, actually. Super. Um, cool. And she's doing yeah, she's doing my interiors. Um, for my Oni Press book. And then um, just got a book green that we're finalizing the contract now um, with Mad Cave. Um, so I'm been super lucky on the comic book front <laughs> and it's really, really good to me. And it's a fantastic place um, to create your own IP. So how'd you get into, were you a comic book uh, kid growing up or why did you choose comic books? Does this seem like the, the right path for you as a writer to go into comic books? Like, How'd you get into the field? It's, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. And I think uh, to some people sounds a little bit backwards. But um, no, I mean, as a kid, I interestingly was very, very turned off by a lot of the superhero covers. Mm -hmm. um, because anytime you would see a woman, it was, you know, it was like a lot of TNA and they were like really scantily clad and like... Mm -hmm. I don't know. There, like there were certain characters that like, didn't make sense to me. Like you have to go out and fight. Like why are you wearing your underpants? Are you going to get hurt? You know what I mean? Like it's just, it was so clear to me um, that this wasn't, there was nothing real about this. There was nothing that I could kind of sink my teeth into because I knew, I knew just looking at those covers, this was not for me. Yeah. And I don't mean because of like, you know, who I am or I'm not attracted to. It had nothing to do with that. It was it was not for me because this representation of women had nothing to do with being a woman. No, no. I mean, most of the books, because th that was when I was reading books as a kid, and th they were written for 15-year-old boys, essentially. That Like, that whole lineup was for, for at least... You'd like to think it was just 15, but I think the demographic was... <laughs> A little bit older than that, too. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it spanned quite high, especially with those like massive cleavage covers. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so that, like, I just, I, I remember feeling very distinctly that's not for me. The thing that was for me was Betty and Veronica. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I could say Archie, I could say Archie, but I, I got kind of tired of the Archie books pretty quickly because 
you know, it was all, it was about Archie and how these girls were competing over him. But the real stars of the show to me were always Betty and Veronica. And they had their own comic mm-hmm. um, that I loved. So they had the, you know, the Betty and Veronica comics proper. Then Betty had her own comic book. Veronica had her own comic book. I don't know if you can hear this. This bunny is like really thirsty. She's like going to town over here. <laughs> it's fine. We've set it up and now we're following through. It's good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm talking while it's happening. So you know, it's not me. <laughs> Still not convinced. Still not convinced. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and Betty and Veronica also had the spectacular books. They were the digest. And so I used to devour those. I mean, I remember going to like being all excited to go to the newsstand and this, I grew up in New York city uh, mm-hmm. right in the middle of Manhattan. So cool. 43rd and 9th, I'm hitting up the newsstand in Manhattan Plaza, which is like right there on, uh, it's like uh, around the corner on 43rd Street. I think there was also, there was also one on 9th Avenue. And I think I used to hit both if I didn't see something that I wanted at one of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had this, oh, my dad saved them for years and years. He had this like one of those huge milk crates just full of these uh, Betty and Veronica digests. <laughs> and then, um, of course, when I became, um, you know, kind of reinterested in in Betty and Veronica and what these ladies were up to for for very very secret clandestine reasons that I can't talk about yet. Um, <laughs> I uh, I um, was like, hey, Dad, can you send me those comics? And he had given them all to um, his girlfriend's grandkids. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> cool. Let me hit up eBay. Uh, but yeah, so those I I really dug, and I think you know a lot of what it was is that. You know, you can argue that, you know, Betty and Veronica are like anti-feminist and blah, blah, blah. I don't really buy into that. They they were girly. Yeah. yeah, they were really, really girly. But they used girl culture to like solve problems in their everyday life. And they weren't, they took pride in being girls, which was something that didn't really exist in my world. It was all about, you know, uh, being one of the guys, like that was cool or, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. exhibiting strength as a young woman and like not just hanging with the girls. It was cooler to be liked by boys. And even though, you know, Betty and Veronica always fought over Archie, they were each other's number ones in those comic books. And they always came back to each other. Um, and uh, yeah, and being a girl was cool in those books. And so, <laughs> yeah, so that, that was, um, you know, my intro to comics and I loved them, mm-hmm. but I never thought of myself as a comic book writer. It didn't even occur to me. In fact, I thought it was like such a safe thing that I would never do that there was a play that I was writing Mm. and I wanted to make the character a writer, but I didn't want him to have anything in common with me aside from being a writer. So I made him a comic book writer (laughs) uh, because I thought I'm I'm never going to do that. It was a comic book writer that was just constantly seeking his father's approval, Mm -hmm. um, which I also thought. I was not seeking and then come to find out I have been seeking my entire life as well. <laughs> so well, apparently like, he, he got, he gave away all your old comic books. So, so. no, see, see how that works. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, so it's, it was funny uh, with that particular play that was performed. You know what? I think I'm going to have to take this bunny's water bottle away. I know I'm a monster, but like, it's, it's <laughs> if it's bothering you, sure. <laughs> Oh, that's like so much better. I feel terrible. I'm sorry, Chrissy. I will give it back. Now I'm going to get like, watch, I'll get like canceled. For, like, in my you like, get canceled. Purposely dehydrating my, my rabbits <laughs> over here. Um, but yeah, so I, I really, it, it never even occurred to me. I didn't even know how comic books were written. I didn't know that like, 
if you, you could just write them and not illustrate them. And I've never been a very <laughs> good visual artist at all. I went to a very artsy school. I just like, that was the part I couldn't handle. Like, I feel like I have two left hands when I'm trying to draw. <laughs> um, so uh, it wasn't until I had, I had been a staff writer actually. So I'm like, uh, I graduated from grad school. I had been out in LA, back to LA for a few years. Um, I had been staffed on a show called The Arrangement. Um, so the first season of that show, I was the executive assistant and I was given my first script as a freelance. And then I was brought back as a staff writer the next season. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, okay, like I got it made now. I got my first credit. I cracked the egg. I'm in the egg. I'm solidly in the egg. <laughs> what could go wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the show was canceled. And then still I was like, whatever like i have a credit now it's so easy to just jump on another show mm-hmm. it is not easy to just <laughs> jump on another show as a staff writer um and i kind of panicked and i called my friend um adam glass who was actually the first person to ever give me a job in television mm-hmm. um, i met him when i was at tish i went to tish asia for graduate school um so we're like you know out in singapore and he was the TV thesis panelist. And because we were stuck out in Singapore, we didn't get to talk to anybody, like no working professionals. Why, so wasn't why, did you go, why did you go to Singapore for school? Oh, I didn't opt to. And why you was like, <laughs> hey, like, we think you're awesome. We don't have any room for you in the New York school. Do you want to go to the, our campus in Singapore? Wild. Which was like, you know, bleeding students, obviously, and like needed money. And they were in, in massive debt to the, you know, Singaporean government, which I didn't know any of, um, <laughs> they, like desperately needed students out there. And so I was like, yeah, okay. Like I'll do the Singapore thing. My mom had been an expat, uh-huh. not like Hong Kong and mainland China for like a decade at this point. So I'm like, Oh, like I know Asia, whatever. Like, yeah, I'll do Singapore. <laughs> yeah. I did not know Asia, uh, at all. Uh-huh. Singapore was like great for five minutes until I realized that you couldn't be outside yeah. for more than a few minutes without being like really uncomfortable. It's 40% more expensive than New York city. Um, it's just crazy hot. The whole place Ugh. is like a, a lot of really wealthy people really enjoy it. Uh, that's fair. If you have a, a crap ton of money, I, I venture to say that you could probably enjoy anywhere. Sure, sure, um, sure. You have like a dome. You have like an air conditioned dome that follows you around all over the place. <laughs> yes, and if you could somehow like import culture into it, that would be great. But yeah. like that, Singapore is it's a big shopping mall that doesn't make rich people pay taxes, mm. and um, mm. and so I had I had a, I had a hard time there during grad school. I will also say there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on there, and I. I think that um, the younger generation uh, really has a chance to make a smash, but it's tough in a country that doesn't have freedom of speech. Yeah. Um, yeah. And where it's like supposedly illegal to be gay, although it's not really enforced, but it's there. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm excited for what the younger generations are going to be able to do in Singapore. But at the time when I was there, I really, I was, I, I and also the school was like completely falling apart. Mm. Um, because of their financial issues and all of that. And again, you know, we kept discovering more and more of the limitations. We were actually paying more than the students at the New York campus, but we were getting less. Like our, <sighs> our, our supposed theater, our black box theater had like a carpet in it, <laughs> like Ugh. these weird, like padded risers and like hardly any lights. Like that's not a theater. Like there wasn't even like a, like a backstage, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's so hard when you're picking, school. when you're picking film schools and, and there's, there's a lot of kids that write to me all the time and they ask me about film school and I'm like, be smart about where you're going, do your research. Cause you have, you have no idea because the, the, the crazy stories like yeah, yours that I've heard. It's a luxury. 
You know what I mean? Like I only got I applied two years in a row to the to the four top schools. I only got into one once. Yeah. So I mean, y- you can research, but if you really want the education, you kind of have to go where there's room for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then once you're there, you have to make do. And I mean, I'll, I'll admit I was very grumpy when I was there because I was in love with education. I went to Oberlin College. I had gone to St. Anne's before that in Brooklyn Heights, which has its own issues. Uh, but I loved it. My dad ran the theater there. Mm-hmm. And so I had a great time. Like, I loved education. I was like, yes, put me back in school. And this, I, I mean, I've even thought of like, okay, like my anti-retirement retirement plan is going to, you know, I, I want to teach. Mm-hmm. And I still do, but I'll say that experience like almost ruined it for me because it was so, <laughs> I just felt like we were so disregarded. Yeah. Um, and we were really just a, a bunch of walking piggy banks. And I, I could, you know, I could get into that more about how, you know, it seemed like NYU was kind of purposefully getting the students into more debt than they needed to get into um, mm-hmm. so they could get more money. And, you know, uh, but <laughs> I don't even care if I could get in trouble for that. But um, no, it's no. All, uh, yeah, I'm- very true. Um, but, you know, and they'll say, oh, well, it's a privatized education system. That's what you get. But either way, I was so starved. Yeah. For outside contact, I really wanted to turn this into a career, and I had met no one. I mean, Oliver Stone was supposedly our artistic director, and then he had just he never showed up, and then he quit, and they never replaced him. Ugh. So when I heard that Adam Glass, this co-EP from Supernatural, um, was coming in to be the TV thesis panelist, I looked at my husband at the time. I got married 10 days before I like went out for this program. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, it's a ridiculous first year of marriage. Um, we're no longer together, but he's like one of my closest friends in the world, and uh, it's it's fond strange memories of that (laughs) ridiculous program but i looked at him at the time and i said we are going to make friends with this man no matter what it takes and he was like right on he's he was an actor Uh, okay he is um and uh so we were like yes we are making this one single connection and thankfully adam had come out with his wife uh mia and um uh, we befriended them and we went to this great whiskey bar and everyone else ended up finding out where we were. And so like, it ended up being this like huge party that we and Adam ended up having to pay for almost entirely, which was terrifying at the time, <laughs> uh, but it worked and he became a really, really close friend. And so I had been out of school for two years. I, I went back to New York city. I was producing plays that I had written. Adam actually came to see one of them. Yeah, uh, My first daughter was about a year old. And he called me and he said, um, you know, I just got this job co-show running uh, the show Criminal Minds Beyond Borders. Um, do you want to interview to be the writer's assistant? And I was like, hell yes. That's cool. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, if I if I could have made a go of it as a TV writer in New York City, I would have. I love New York. And um, my husband at the time really wanted to be out there. But there were like five shows being written in New York. Yeah. And that's what they were staffed. Like it, there wasn't there just wasn't an opportunity. And I had been dying for an opportunity. I mean, you know, this this uh, this podcast is about dreams. I could go into all of that. Um, but <laughs> just to finish the story, I, I got the job on a Monday, I think. And by the following Saturday, I was already on a plane. Husband, baby, dog, having all of our shit, like, shipped cross country. Um, we got an apartment in a day because someone had died in it. Good Lord. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Um, he was a good ghost though. His name was Fausto. It was like weird. It was like one of those weird reminders of like, you can't, cause I was coming back to LA for the second time. And it was like, you're, you're coming back here to follow a dream. Don't sell yourself, you know, don't sell yourself short. Don't sell your soul. Yeah. And Fausto was a reminder of that. Um, 
so, uh, so yeah, so that was my first job. So then when, you know, things that the arrangement had been canceled and I realized I was like, Oh my God, it's going to be really hard to get a job. Yep. The first call I made was to Adam and I was like, Adam, I'm freaking out. Like I, I need something. What do you got? He's like, well, I don't have anything in TV right now. Um, but I've had this idea for a comic. It's called Mary Shelley monster hunter. It puts Mary Shelley into her own story, but I, I need, I need a, a female voice to mm-hmm. come onto this project with me. You know, he's very, he's very, very responsible writer, and he's not about to like write a completely female centric mm-hmm. <laughs> comic book by himself. Um, and I jumped on. I was like, "Yes, this sounds amazing." And it's also, if you've ever met Adam Glass or worked with him, like the, being in a room with him and in a creative situation, like the way his brain works, like rapid fire ideas. And he's always pushing you to like, like, okay, so like that's the easy idea. Like, what's the other side of the easy idea? Like, yeah. what's the how do you subvert expectations? Like what's the other way into this? And he really demands that kind of creativity. He's got a lot of experience in the supernatural, not just supernatural, but you mm-hmm. know. Um, so yeah, so I, I jumped at it and he taught me how to write comics with Mary Shelley Monster Hunter. And of course introduced me to the folks over at Aftershock. So that was how I got into comics. It was it was out of financial need. It was because it was the opportunity to to work again with one of my favorite people in this business. Mm-hmm. And um, I totally fell in love with it. And I feel very, very fortunate because, you know, right now um, the WGA is on strike. Um, yep. I'm all for it. Um, I think it's awesome. I, I've, you know, been down to the picket lines uh, a handful of times. I, I wish I had more time to go. Um, <laughs> I, I'll bake like gluten-free stuff that like no one actually <laughs> wants, but I'm like, there's no gluten-free stuff down here. And I'm like, crushing <laughs> celiac. So like I bake really healthy stuff and bring it down. And then I see like the writers kind of turn up their noses when there's like nothing else. They're like, okay, I guess I'll eat this like healthy. <laughs> My girlfriend would be right there with you eating it. So it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's great, um, that I'm still, I can still write, I can still work, um, uh, when this stuff is going on, you know, in in a completely different area. And of course, you know, no one is going to look you in the eye straight and tell you that comic book money is TV money. It is not. No, 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 it's not. I mean, comic books, it's, it's fascinating because there's so many people, it's fascinating the influence the comic books has ha- had over you know pop culture at this point, but then how many people don't? That's the thing. Yeah, how many people don't actually buy comic books? And so it doesn't surprise me to hear that certain companies are are filing bankruptcy because it's like, you know, I still go into comic book shops and they're fucking empty when you go in there, and you're like, how how are you guys staying open? Wait, wait where do you live? Oh, I'm in Glendale, so there's a like a there's a I don't want to name shops specifically because I don't want to give them shit. But there have been a bunch of places I go in there and it's like, there are the three nerds that have been here every day this week. And I've been in here looking for a book and maybe one or two people have committed out of here. Okay. All right. And I, wow, really? that's so strange. Yeah. I, I feel like the comic book shops I've been in lately are packed. I also, here's something really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, in Europe, comic books are huge in Europe. In Paris, there's like a comic book shop like every couple blocks. That's cool. I've never been to Paris. It is and I, wild. I, I, I was in Bar. It. I found my book in Spanish in hardcover in Barcelona. So cool. On on um, the 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 Saint Jordi holiday, you know when they put like uh, they have book stands out on the streets and they have like tons of book signings. And they sell roses everywhere. Mm-hmm. This holiday in Barcelona. I've never been. I've heard of it, but I've never been. Oh, I had never heard of it. I'd never been to Barcelona. We just happened to be there over this holiday. And on St. Jordi, I just happened to find 
my book in the bookstore. I'm, I like cried. I'm such a nerd. I cried. Mary Shelley Monster Hunter was right there. I was like, I'm like going up to the people at the front. I'm like, I wrote this. <laughs> they're like, sure. <laughs> That's like, so That's me. And they're like, okay. They're like, well, there's a table. Like they couldn't care less. And, but I was so happy. And like went over to the table. They only had two copies of the book. My partner was with me. He wanted one. I wanted it too. It was like translated into Spanish and hardcover. And I didn't have any of those. So cool. And uh, so I had one book and I sat there and it only took a few minutes. Thank God. Otherwise I would have felt like a jerk. But <laughs> after a few minutes, this woman was like, did you say that you wrote this? She was like, can you sign this for me? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so I got to sign my own book um, in Barcelona on St. Jordi. It was very special. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you say that because um, I, to me, I mean, yes, obviously comic book companies are getting hard hit. They're not the only, Aftershock is not the only one. There's been, um, right. Uh, I think IDW has had some, had some shakeups too. It's tough. Um, but what the comic book companies are doing, which is really, really smart, is they've realized the power of their IP. Mm-hmm. Because honestly, it doesn't need to be a super popular comic book for a production company to pick it up and say like, hey, this is really rad. Let's see if we can turn this into something. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, through options and, you know, buying the property outright, like that's how a lot of these comic book companies are making their money. So, um, you know, more and more you'll see, um, and I think this is so cool for me because I write TV and comic books that a lot of these companies, they will create properties in, in tandem. Like they'll create the comic book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same time, they are developing the television pitch. Yes, this is the thing. So, like, I love the from the standpoint of being a filmmaker, I think it's amazing. And then from the standpoint of being a, a comic book fan, I've talked to a lot of other comic book writers and artists that are that don't write for TV and stuff, and they feel like that industry has been oversaturated with that thing, which is like people that just seem to be coming in and out of the comic book business with the Mm -hmm. hopes of getting a story down on page and then really not giving justice to the, the, to To the, the to the book itself. And so you're just getting sort of like trash art and like really quick written stuff that's just put out there. So obviously the pendulum swings in both directions when something like that is happening, but it's also fascinating to think about the main cause of that most likely is because of sales. And this is a way for these, uh, you know, publishers to at least stay fucking afloat. It's by selling off the rights to their books and stuff. That's it's a fascinating yeah, way. Selling their, selling their entire libraries in some cases. Yeah, no. Yeah. And listen, I totally, I, I totally get that concern and I could see where there'd be like a bunch of red flags around someone like me, but <laughs> I'm um, not, I wasn't, I, I wasn't saying you. I am your enemy. Um, no, but I, I, no, I totally get it. Um, and I, but I've always been a proponent of if you were going to write something in a specific genre, mm-hmm. you or a specific medium, I should say, yes. you have to make it the best it can possibly be in that medium. Yes. Do not have the vain hope that you are going to, and I see this all the time that someone will make a short film with the hopes that like some magic person will come down from heaven and dump a bunch of money on them and say, turn this into a feature. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening is that short film is like, it's like a, like a weird 10 minute rip reel for something. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, not a rip reel rather. Cause they've like shot the footage, but it's like, it's like a weird pseudo trailer. And I'm like, but where's the story? Like the I, types of short films that become features are great short films. Yes. So anytime someone ever comes to me and they're like, I have this idea, but I don't have the money for it. Should I do a short? I'm like, if, if it's a feature, no, don't do a short. 
No, no. I, like because <laughs> you're do it. Make a great short film. That is a short film, and I feel the same way about comic books. Don't ever write a comic book because you want to see it on on a TV screen, yes, or or a movie screen. If that's the case, then that idea is not a comic book. That's a film script or a TV pitch or a TV pilot script. It has to be a good comic book, and of course, like have dreams. Dream all day long that you write this amazing comic book that like flips people's lids as a comic book so much so that like they're dying to see it in in another form and dream about that all day. I am all about manifestation, but never write a comic book so that you can turn it into something else. 100%. And I think that you're talking to a guy that got represented because of his short films. And so the- uh, Oh, there you go. Yeah. The world of short filmmaking for me has always been, it's about tone building. Because as a director, it's so difficult to get your tone across without anything behind you. So, like, I'll send in scripts. Oh God, tell me about it. That's the biggest challenge for writers, too, in these fucking pitches. Like, but yes. what's the tone? Like, we just described it. Yeah. We can't tell you anymore because we haven't shot it. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, then you were dealing with, I mean, and this is a controversial statement, before the new AI image stuff, you're dealing with, like, uh, random Google rips. And so, like, if you're putting together, like, a pitch document, you're like, well, what's the closest? Obviously, I tried to write something that's never been made before, but what's the closest fucking thing? I don't know. Maybe there's some stills from the movie Constantine. So then you put those stills in the deck because you're like, this is kind of a representation of, like, the atmosphere and the set design. But then they look at it and they go, oh, I love that costume. And the next thing you know, you're like, well, that's not why I fucking put it in the deck. It's not the costume. (laughs) It's because of all that other shit. And so now I'm doing this bullshit with this dumbass costume. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) So ask you something because you mentioned the ai mic yes so uh, am i to then assume that you are 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 you talking about um mid-journey yes yeah um okay so are you are you generating mid-journey images for your pitches now here's what i'm doing and i before i get shit from everybody i've been a guy as a director i i I, I want to be able to use this thing with a clear conscience. I because I, I think I think for something like a pitch deck, it's okay because we'd be stealing images anyway. Yes. So here's what I'm doing, which is interesting. So when when I do my films, I I don't do not consider myself a screenwriter. I have not put the time in. I don't have the craft. Uh, my buddy Will Simmons writes most of my uh, feature stuff. I work with other writers. I love 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 working with someone that has the skills to put something on page that um, like a producer wants to read that gets people excited to watch a movie. That being said, oftentimes when I'm working with writers, I'm trying to explain to them from being a visualist, being a person that started as a cinematographer, being a person that understands lighting and stuff, I may say to a writer, say, hey, I think it'd be a great idea if we set this in a barn. And that writer goes, because in their head they're thinking Charlotte's Web, and they're like, Ugh. you know what I mean? And I'm like, no, 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 no. You not like, it. and then I try to start to explain. I'm like, think Texas Chainsaw remake with the shafts of light, and they're like, Ugh, Charlotte's Web, still in their fucking head. So what right. I've been doing now when I work with writers is I'll put together these inspiration pieces that I will send them before we start writing. So it'll be here's what I think these set pieces would look like. Here's what 
I think these characters would look like, which is the same fucking thing that James Cameron's doing when he does his Avatar movies, except James Cameron has millions of dollars in entire rooms full of concept artists that will just shit out work for him whenever he wants to have it put out there. I don't. So at this point with Midjourney, and because I've done enough uh, movies and content through my music videos and everything else that the internet knows who I am, I literally can type into Midjourney a film by Mike Petchy. It immediately knows my aesthetic. It immediately knows all of my looks. And then Are I can start building. Are you kidding me? I'm 100% there right now. It's That's crazy. That's amazing. It's crazy. So now. Well, I should be fucking putting you on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. So now I'm, awesome. I'll have to show you these decks. I, I have three or four decks that we're building because we're writing a couple of scripts right now. Plus, um, I've been doing um, pitch work for different uh, podcasts and different shows. And so I can automatically now, if you look at my Instagram, I just posted a, an image of a chef yesterday which is hysterical because I've done a lot of like chef commercials and knife commercials. I've worked with chefs for years. I literally just wrote in the prompt, uh, a film by Mike Petchy, uh, bearded chef stands at a stove, uh, shot from behind, lots of smoke, atmosphere, etc. Boom. It creates this fucking image that looks like I use the same, it used the same talent that I used in my last commercial in this image. So instantaneously, I posted that image and everybody's like, wow, did you see something new? They all think it's a new piece for me that was done with this thing. So it's useful when I'm trying to design things and get folks like you as a writer on the same fucking page right. as far as how it's going to be tonally. And to bring this back to what I was saying, that's what the short films could do. So when I did my short film 12KM, of course, I'm making this crazy movie about a Russian drill team in the 1980s. And, you know, no one would understand what that looks like until I made it. And so now when they watch that film, it is like the visual representation of me as a director. And they go, I know exactly how Mike would handle this this uh, exorcism film. I know exactly how he would handle, you know, this slasher movie. I know exactly his aesthetic and tone. And it wasn't that I I didn't do a fucking sizzle reel. I didn't do any of that stuff. It's right. you you need to spend the time. Building suspense, especially if you're working on horror, you got to prove that you can build suspense by using technique. Um, you got to prove that you can work with a composer. You got to prove that you can, uh, you know, build out music, understanding the visual language, which I think so many young directors don't know fuck about visual language right now. It's insane to me that they don't. Um, and being able to edit and, and complete something. That's what a short film should do. And that's why you'll get work from it, you know? Yeah, I wonder why that is. I feel like in some the it's I feel like the whole camera of it all is becoming kind of a lost art yeah. with younger generations. And I I I only noticed this um, with my older daughter, who is now like started making videos of herself and stuff. She's she's not on social media. She can't post anything, but it's still terrifying. Every once in a while, I look at her <laughs> iPad. I'm like, oh my god, you're like dancing around in your room in like tiny outfits. Jesus Christ, Ugh. it happens so fast. Um, but um, I I actually one of my first positions on set when I first came to LA when I was like 22 years old, um, I I came to act. Initially, I've been a classically trained actor. I've been acting for like. Uh, since I was five years old. Oh, no kidding. 
Yeah. So that was, um, I, you know, and I had done Shakespeare and Chekhov and Ibsen. And then here I was in LA, like reading for these like insipid commercials. And I was like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, and you know, like I was booking things here and there, but small stuff. I, I didn't have any connections. I came to LA. I didn't know anyone. Um, and I got kind of bored. I didn't want to sit around waiting for a job. I wanted to be on set. You know, yeah. like I said, my father was a set designer. So I had spent a lot of my life, you know, in these dark spaces and really creative spaces. Oh, I, and, whoa, whoa, whoa. you did. Did you mention he was a set designer? I didn't get that from you. We're going to get into that after this. Okay. Oh, I said, my dad ran the theater at the school that I went to St. Anne's, but he, uh, he was a set designer. So he had, uh, one of his early jobs, at the metropolitan opera. And I think he was working for Bob O'Hare over there. And then oh, he cool. ended up, um, yeah, with a bunch of ulcers. <laughs> and he was like, I think I need to slow down. <laughs> so he ended up working at St. Anne's and running the theater there and doing all these amazing sets for, you know, uh, middle and high school shows and, cool. and lower school shows as well and dance concerts and everything else. I mean, the, it was like a gangbusters theatrical operation for a school. <laughs> and when I was younger, he was also doing off and off off-Broadway shows at the same time. Um, so like kooky theater people were my entire world. <laughs> like I thought it was normal to have like hair down to your butt and wear oversized sweaters over oversized maxi skirts every day. Like that was like a uniform that I thought was acceptable <laughs> in the mid nineties, early nineties. Um, I'm old. Uh, but yeah, so I, I missed those spaces. And so I, realized uh through some friends of mine that i had made that worked in production like they thought it was cute that i was like curious about cameras and i actually wasn't i was just i just wanted to get on set so i was like yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i want to know about cameras and so i jumped into camera department on this independent film um a really low budget independent film with this extremely passionate um alcoholic director (laughs) (laughs) i hope he's not still an alcoholic um but uh and I, I can safely say that because the film was even about like why do young people drink so much? But sure, this is how nuts this director was uh, in su- such a beautiful way. The film took place on um, this old like uh, old Route 50 in Nevada, which is called the loneliest road in America. Huh. And it's this epic road trip that these three people go on. And he wanted the entire cast and crew to go on the actual road trip the characters went on in the film. (laughs) So almost every, like we would spend maybe two or three days in one location before packing up and moving to the next. Uh. And I think that we got like four or five hours of sleep each night and we were all like drinking and partying. We were all like so young. Sure. I think the oldest person on the crew was like 33 or something like that, which was like vastly older than everyone else. We were all in our twenties. Yep. We were the first to shoot. Oh, this is crazy. We were first to shoot an entire feature on the red using the, um, the batteries that attach to the back of the camera. Oh. <laughs> That's how long ago this was. That's crazy. And it was, so fraught because the batteries were melting. I mean, it was, and of course that's my job. Um, right. So I'm on the set. I'm the second AC. Um, and uh, there's, you know, the, the DP and the operator and that's it. And then there was uh, a guy who came in later to do steady cam. So I'm, and there's, we have no G and E uh, grip, grip and electric for those who uh, don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Those guys are the ones who like carry around all the heavy shit, even for camera department and will like, you know, help set up. Mm-hmm. There was none of that. It was all me. 
Um, <laughs> not only I knew nothing about cameras beforehand. I had to be able to not only like name every lens, but know exactly what case it was in and be able to like run it over, mm-hmm. um, change lenses, change batteries, put together um, sliders. And uh, like, it was like all like, you know, relatively small rigs and stuff, but, but I had to be able still to put a lot all that of work. together. Yeah, it's a lot of and work. And wearing around all of these head cases, my thighs got so big halfway through the production <laughs> that I ripped through my pants. And I only had two <laughs> pairs of pants for the entire shoot. I'm not kidding. I bent down because, you know, I'm, I'm smart enough to like use my legs when I'm bending down to pick these things up. I yeah. ripped through the thighs. I felt like the Hulk. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, but I learned that you know, for directors and DPs, obviously, and operators, like the, the so much of the art, and this, is, this isn't like a film versus digital thing. This was digital. Yeah. But so much of the art of the filmmaking happened with the camera. Yes. The, the, the lens choice and how that, you know, uh, would then affect the lighting and framing and all of this that I think now because we're in such a point and shoot world – has gotten a little, that part of the art seems to have gotten a little bit lost. It's time to take a second and uh, talk about the men and women that support the show. And uh, I'm not just talking about all of you lovely listeners out there, although many of you have been going above and beyond. I've had a lot of people this week uh, pick up uh, 12KM prints and uh, podcast t-shirts, all sorts of stuff. I just went to the po- uh, post office yesterday and... Uh, by the way, uh, small tangent, uh, and this is just me being a real dumb kid from the U.S., but international addresses blow my mind, and I think it's just specific places. I got an address from a listener yesterday, and I'm like, where the fuck is this? <laughs> and in my ignorance, I'm like, I, th- I think this is an address, and so when you have to ship internationally, you got to go fill out um, one of those customs forms, right? So, like, I'm, I'm looking at the address that I was giving, and I'm looking at the custom forms, and I'm like, where do all these words go? I don't know. Like, this looks like, okay, this is like a regional, this is like a zip code, but it's a regional zip code. Okay, that goes here, but, like, what is this place? And I just assumed it was because I was a moron, right? So, I, w- I went through, and I tried to fill out the sheet, and then you kind of walk up sheepishly to the woman that's at the counter, and you hand the the document over like a you know like it's a report that you didn't really study for or like a test you didn't study for and she looks at a cross-eyed she's like well, where the fuck is this and i go yes okay i'm right right she goes yeah there's no there's no place on here so then uh i had to write to uh the, the person and luckily that person was online and they were like oh it's here it's in the uk and I'm like, why the fuck did you say that? <laughs> Is there some sort of hidden code here? Like, why the fuck did you put... Ah, And maybe it's just because uh, a lot of folks out there aren't used to uh, sending out snail mail anymore. Like, they don't actually know how to send you their address for where they live. Uh, but anyway, uh, big shout out to everybody who has been picking up stuff. Let's not be giving you shit, Michael. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> um, but uh, much appreciated. And I do still have 
uh, a few 12 cam t-shirts left for some reason. I picked up a bunch of large ones, uh, assuming that there were a lot of large folks, and I still got a big, big, big uh, group of large ones. You know, I I know a lot of my listeners are uh, big boys out there because a lot of my 2XLs all disappeared pretty quickly. But then I've got a lot of like very small and petite listeners. All my smalls went out fast. Mediums, of course, right? Most of the LA people got mediums because they're trim and fit. I mean, this boy squeezing himself into a large. I figured most people were. How wrong was I? Anyway. Supporting the show, as always, are our friends over at Puget Systems. If you're in the market for a brand new computer, let's say you want to build an edit system, let's say you want to build a Photoshop machine, maybe you're someone like me who has been deep, deep, deep in AI creation lately. I have been fully embracing it, if you're listening, and I have been designing some amazing lookbooks. And I'll have to do a full episode, talk about what my process is with this, but it's been working out pretty fucking cool. Uh, and if you guys have noticed, a lot of the thumbnails that I've done for the show, I've been doing in AI as well. Now, I don't, I, I, I always feel like I have to say this. I still work with humans. <laughs> I still hire artists to do work with me. I still talk to artists to create work for me. I still am talking to real life bands that are sending us music for the show. And I am still talking to a real life artist to do the poster for my next movie, okay? So before you give me a rash of shit. But uh, because I'm running my Puget system, I'm able to do all sorts of stuff with my AI creation stuff. I'm running Midjourney in the background. I'm running things into Photoshop. If you get your hands on that new version of Photoshop, that beta version, there's AI replication within Photoshop, which is fucking crazy. It's really crazy to be able to be doing a composition and going, in this area here, what if we had a lake, right? And it finds that, that, that material for you. Now, before you get too crazy about that stuff, I used to have to do that by doing Google searching and looking for imagery and finding imagery and trying to buy stock imagery to put in the background for stuff. Let's say I wanted to replace the sky. Before you give me a rash of shit, there's so many of you Photoshoppers out there that don't even pay for the stock imagery that you get. You find some sky, you alter it, you just throw it in the background, okay? Well, here with the AI stuff in Photoshop, it's very simplistic and it's creating, it's rendering brand new imagery that I can use as elements. Talk about a Photoshopper's dream to be able to create things like a different shirt or different fabrics or be able to select the exterior of a photograph that was literally shot as a close-up and have it reproduce or create a new background. Bat shit, right? Absolutely nuts. I could do all this stuff with my Puget system. I love it. I built myself a 6K editing monster, so it's very easily capable of running through all this stuff that I do for AI. But if you're in the market for a new computer, don't go to the big boys. Don't become indebted to one of the larger companies. Go with a PC. It's upgradable. They run forever. I love mine. Go to PugetSystems.com and check them out. You could buy a baseline system based upon the software you're going to use. Uh, but these guys love to customize things for you. They love to know about their uh, consumers, their clients, their friends. So talk to them. So reach out to them on Instagram at Puget Systems or go to PugetSystems.com. 
okay? Supporting the show, big time support from our friends over at Fujifilm. If you're in the market for uh, a still camera, let's say you want to do large format photography. Uh, one of the reasons why we jumped to Fujifilm was that uh, Gina was doing a lot of photography on film sets. And when you're brought in as a photographer while they're shooting video, you're often neglected when it comes to lighting, right? You're stuck on a film set that has lit the entire thing for video cameras. And I know that you can take stills from video, but you can't take large format stills from video. You can't take the type of still from video that needs to be put up on a billboard or on a bus, right? And more often than not, in the past, if you were shooting with old school large format cameras, um, you would have to be pumping a lot of light into those scenarios because the lenses were very high uh, f-stops, so they were at least a 3.5, right? Which cuts down the light. Then the film speed was like a 400, maybe a 500 if you're lucky, right? That cuts down on the light. Um, and then you're running at a higher shutter speed which then cuts down on the light. So when you're on a set, which is basically lit for video, which is 800 ISO, shutter speed of 148th, um, and oftentimes they're shooting with cinema lenses that are like 14s, 18s, 28s, um, you just don't have the light. And so with Fujifilm, it has such a great uh, low noise, high, as, high ISO, that you could be in those situations and still shooting fantastic medium format images. Gina uses the GFX 100S, which she loves, and combined with Photo Deox's lens adapters, uh, we're able to put all of our old school lenses, the lenses that we love, the recipe that has been the recipe for our imagery on these new camera backs like Fujifilm. I fucking love it. Uh, so for instance, on Gina's 100, uh, GFX 100S, she was able to mount her old Mamiya lenses, which are fucking beautiful lenses. So when you look at a lot of her stuff, and I've been posting a lot of her work lately, check it out at Mike Petchy or check out Gina underscore Gisela on Instagram, and you'll see what it is that I'm talking about. You'll see this beautiful imagery. I'm very proud of the work that she's been doing lately. She's actually been approached by a lot of different film directors that are using her work as... Um, as inspiration for their new pieces. They're asking her to collaborate on new pieces. So as we push into a world where everybody's concerned and worried about AI taking over their fucking work, that's bullshit. As long as you are being true to yourself as an artist and you're experimenting with the stuff that you have at your disposal and you're not just buying gear and opening it up and setting the fucking white balance correctly and then taking the same fucking shot that someone else is doing, if you're breaking the rules, you'll be fine. So check out Fujifilm and uh, definitely check out Photo Deox. Those pairings are really great. And if you are using a Photo Deox adapter on your Fujifilm camera and you want to use some high-end cinema lenses, let's say that you want to shoot uh, video, uh, maybe you have the H, uh, what is it? The H2, the HX2S. I always forget the number of your video camera and I don't have it directly in front of me. I'm going to look it up right now so that I am not a jerk about this. Hold on a second. Fujifilm, baby. It's the HX2S, I think. Right? It's the X-Series cameras. Ah, see, I'm an asshole. 
It's the X-H2S. There you go. I love this camera, even though I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> I love this rig. I'm shooting with it all the time. This is what we're shooting our video stuff with. This is my at-home shooter right now. Um, and on that camera, I'm able to mount with my Photo DX lens mounts, I'm able to put on PL mount lenses, which means that I can go to Boca Rentals here in California and get those same lenses that were shot. They shot the Joker with the same lenses um, that they shoot um, all the new television shows that you love. Uh, all that is available at Boca Lens Rentals here in California, Los Angeles. I'm excited about these guys. Sorry, I got distracted. Hold on. Let's go to BocaRentals.com. Let's go to their website. Uh, let's see what's going on. What's new here? So go there with me. Go to Boca. So it's B-O-K-E-H Rentals.com. Book it with Bolta. <laughs> Bolta. See, this is what happens when your boy doesn't get much sleep. Book it with Boca. Uh, based in Los Angeles and Las Vegas. That's right. They opened a, their new Las uh, Vegas facility, which is super cool. Um, they are your premier production resource, uh, providing equipment to the cinematography community. Uh, let's see. What do they got on here right now? Ooh, latest gear, Hawk V-Light Anamorphics. I haven't used the V-Light series. I'm talking to some folks from Hawk right now that uh, I met at Cinegear this year. So if you guys are listening, I want to get you guys on the show because I'm a big fan of what Hawk does. What do we got here? Hawk's V-Light 2X Vintage uh, anamorphic lenses deliver a unique look and reliability of the Hawk anamorphic glass in a smaller package. A combination of their optical characteristics, robustness, ooh, and user-friendliness, range of focal lengths, and surprisingly small size. Yeah, because the Hawks I used years ago were massive, and they were super heavy, and the camera was very heavy. Uh, smaller than men, many commonly used spherical primes, fascinating, have made them popular worldwide. They are available for rental in Los Angeles and Las Vegas. Ooh, the V-Lights look super cool. What do we got here? They get a, a 28 millimeter uh, low stop of a 2.2. That's cool. Oh, that's pretty rad. They have a 45, a 55, all 2.2. An 80, the 110 is T3, and the 140 is 3.5. Really cool. Very cool. These are specifically designed to use with digital cinematography cameras and offer a number of features and benefits. They have a 2X anamorphic stretch factor. For those of you who have never shot anamorphic, 2X means it's much, much wider, much wider than the standard. Oftentimes you're shooting 2X and then cropping it in to fit the standard anamorphic aspect ratio. But when I shoot 2X, I leave it because I think it's fucking rad. The stretch factor, meaning that they can produce an aspect ratio of 240-1. So that is... Uh, from a standard 16 by 9 image sensor. That's rad. Um, those of you who aren't cinematographers or don't shoot with stuff, you're like, this is boring. But those of you who love to shoot, you know what I'm talking about. Additionally, the Hawk V-Like 2X lenses are also optimized to be used with high-resolution camera, providing excellent sharpness, contrast, and color reproduction. They also have a focus ring with a smooth, consistent gear, allowing for pre precise and accurate focus pulls. That's, that's massive. Um, overall, the Hawk V-Like 
X-anamorphic lenses are a versatile and high-quality choice for filmmakers and videographers looking to add the unique look and feel of anamorphic lensing to their projects. This is one selection here, and this is in their latest gear um, area. Just have fun. Go to BocaRentals.com and just go through and look at the resources that are at your disposal. So many listeners of the show have gone there. I just talked to the owner of uh, Boca recently, and he is like, man, you keep sending people over here. And we know that they're an awesome place, and they know that you guys are awesome, so they're excited to hear. So if you do go from here, just let them know that Mike sent you. All right? So that is BocaRentals.com. And finally, before we get back to the interview, those of you who are new to the show and you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, I've sent a bunch of folks on Instagram here, and I've had so many people writing to me recently going, look, I want to get into the movie business. Can I ask you some questions? Can, I, can you give me some advice? The reality of it is, is I'm a busy dude these days between answering DMs for 12KM and doing podcasts and writing and spending time on this AI, fucking creating like pitch decks. I'm, my, my days are pretty full, really full. So it's hard for me to sit down and answer everybody's questions about the business. But good news. That's why I did the show, man. That's why I did the show. So if you're over here, because I sent you, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There you can pick episodes based upon the area that you're interested in. I've had a lot of folks go, what is it like to be a writer? How can I make a, you know, a career being a writer? Well, you're welcome for today's show. But there are plenty more uh, great writer episodes at alumwiththeprocess.com. Uh, my buddy, the Rasmussen brothers are up there. The guys that wrote Crawl. Did you guys ever see Crawl? The crazy tor- uh, hurricane uh, alligator crazy movie. Was it an alligator in that movie or was it a crocodile? They'll, they'll kill me for not knowing that. Um, but they're up there as well. So alumwiththeprocess.com, place to go to sort through the over almost 300 episodes of our show. All right, that's it, man. Let's get back to the interview. something that I'm coming at as a director that used to be a cinematographer. The my job as a director like okay, so you write me a script. All right? So I I get the script from you. Everything on that page it, like when you do your job correctly, everything there describes the emotion, describes the action, tells you where the characters are going, uh gives you the outline for the entire piece, right? And one of the beauty one of the beautiful things about a great screenwriter is that they have the ability to captivate the attention of the money people without boring them with loaded exposition or loaded scene descriptions and everything else. Mm-hmm. And so you write this piece that is the catalyst, that is the inspiration for this story to be told. 
right? And then I, I'm always, <laughs> I always tell my screenwriter, I go, uh, I, you did all this really great hard work, and we finally got over that hump. And now, before I hand the script to my actors, I'm literally crossing out all your screen direction. Like that all goes away because yeah. I, I don't want my actors to feel forced to have to do the screen direction that you're doing there. Like so that all disappears, and then everything. My job as a as a director is to actually examine. Um, everything that's in that script, start to come up with backstory, start to come up with subplot, start to understand themes that are running through this thing. And then taking my years of studying the visual language, the language of sound to figure out how am I going to get the audience to feel this theme that is written on the page with like a couple of words, but I don't want to turn to the audience on camera, have an actor go, what I want you to feel right now is scared. You know what I mean? So like, what am I using to tell that story? And I think that that part of it is the hardest part as a director. That's what they call director's prep. That's the hardest part of it. That is the unsexy part. There aren't uh, YouTube videos out there with like young kids going, I sat all day, <laughs> I sat in my room all day and I, I like angstly tried to decide how to make you feel this way. Like no one cares about that shit. Everything that we're interested in as far as the youth is concerned is like, what camera did you get? What's the resolution on the camera that you got? Is there a filter to make sure that my face doesn't look pimply? How can I use this body shaping filter to make myself look like a Kardashian? Like all that stuff is at the forefront and you're seeing it now translate into shows like, um, you know, like a lot of these, like uh, I'll say it, like a lot of like these Marvel shows that exist out there where, you feel like the talent that's coming in either doesn't have the time for it or really doesn't have the the skills to tell a visual story the same way that this might have been told if it was a feature done by a visual artist from our past. And it it blows my mind when I see directors that come from our past, whether it's you know, Catherine Bigelow, or if it's Martin Scorsese, or all these amazing directors that have learned the visual language of cinema, um, and then seeing the the new generation of folks, which just feel like they're being hired by these giant corporations that are getting them in there cheap, and then running them through the mud, not giving them the time to do it. And then you watch this stuff and you go, fuck, it's another over-the-shoulder shot, handheld camera thing? What is this, fucking law and order again? God damn it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it's, it's hard to to see that happen. And what I try to do on this show is like remind people that the sexy stuff, the, the, the best stuff out there is because of the homework that you're doing at home by yourself. And you should be learning this language. And I'm on such a tirade right now, but this also comes back to what, what, what we, <laughs> this also comes back to what we were talking about with comic books, know the medium. So like, if you're going to do something, if you're going to tell a story on a page visually, yeah understand what panels mean, understand what breaking panels mean, understand how to draw perspective. Page turns, page turns. Those are my favorite. Oh, yes. And the, do with a page turn. Oh, and the unspoken stuff that happens in between panels. And the geniuses in the comic book world have the ability to just draw the slightest pen move or pencil move. And in between those panels, you've imagined because of that, that character like jumping in a car, driving and shooting out a window and then arriving at this space, you filled in those blanks because of what they've set up in that panel. So I, I, I don't know. That's tangent, tangent, tangent. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think this also, you know, goes 
to the point of, you know, it's, it's really, really wonderful. I think, especially when you're first starting out, like try everything. Yeah. But once you find that thing that sings for you, don't be afraid to say like, I'm just doing this now. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's the thing that makes film, television, all of these performance-based, you know, visual mediums so compelling is that you're bringing a group of people together mm-hmm. that all have expertise and and passion, like your passion that you're talking about with directing, like they have that for their medium. Mm-hmm. So don't think, you know, a lot, of, I talked to a lot of young um, comic book artists and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm writing it and doing the illustrations and the lettering and everything. And I'm, I think to myself, like, I, I, I understand that's what you feel like you need to do to get started. But like, if, if you're the person who's just focusing on the writing and making sure that the story gets told as, as well as it can possibly get told, and then you have another person who's just there to make sure that the illustrations are, are, are striking and creating that tone and, and carrying the story and, and, you know, drawing the person in. And then you have a letterer who's like really just there to like, make sure that like all of the important words are mm-hmm. like singing and out into like to, to to get a slight difference between someone like shouting and a whisper and talking normally like there's all these things that you can convey just with fucking lettering it's crazy if you have that group of people that's all focusing on that one thing it's going to be so much more powerful um than something that you know you consider you're like a you know jack of all trades trying to throw this um piece together to you know highlight one of these talents right. that you might have right, you know I mean? right. Right. Um, so the the best thing about this medium that we're in is that it is collaborative. So make it collaborative. Keep it collaborative. Um, yes. And and really, and especially like if you are ever in a position to find someone uh, to work with, uh, to bring someone onto a project, um, make sure there's someone who is really passionate about their field and loves it, um, because you're going to get so much more out of them, especially honestly and it's hard and it makes things take longer but find someone who disagrees with you <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. no those are the best partners i've ever had with people that don't think like me yeah um because they make you they expand your mind and and help you you know figure out how to how to think in different ways and tell stories in different ways and they will always broaden your horizons i completely you agree. Won't have to fight with them but you know it, they, they, they don't have to be your best friend yeah they're your partner on this project I completely agree. I completely agree. I mean, because at that point, especially when you're talking about early collaborations, whether you're working with a writer or if you're working with a production designer as a director, if you're working with a cinematographer, if you're working with actors, you need to have those people around you that are going to give you the honest response that they feel initially. And they have to feel safe to do it, too. So make sure you're, you know, and I, oh, God, you see this happen all the time. And I I always, I, I, I tell my partner this, I tell people around me this. When I, because it's going to happen, I'm a big manifester. When I get super successful, mm-hmm. I have to have people around me that keep me in check because you see so often that people get into these positions and then it creates a situation where people around them are afraid to be honest with them. And guess what? The work ends up suffering. Yeah. And, and, and also, your personal life ends up suffering in one way or another because you've got a bunch of fucking yes men around you the whole time. And you're just like, come on, man. Yeah. And then your kid's like, fuck you. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? Do you know who I am, child? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And while we were talking, um, and I'm going to put this back out there in the universe, I've talked about it a couple times. 
recently I just went to Cinegear, which was at Paramount Studios, and it's like a technical thing where they bring together a bunch of gear and then they sort of attract in young uh, cinematographers, a lot of uh, cinematographers in the business, and that's what it is. And so I went to this thing um, as a director now that used to be cinematographer, and you go and you hang out, and all it was was a bunch of shooters that are all in the same space looking at each other and telling each other stories and pitching each other stuff. And it's like, dude, you're wasting your fucking breath because these are all other shooters. They're all other cinematographers. And most of them the whole time are like poking their head up going, are you working? What are you working on? What are you doing? What are you doing? It's like, I feel like this industry, it would be really smart if this industry regularly put on events, and maybe I should do stuff, but puts on these events where it's like, hey, guess what? Here's an event where it's just young writers and young passionate directors that are going to hang out. It's like a speed dating thing. Go hang out with these folks. Because I know how hard it is for a lot of writers because I I feel like writers feel like, and maybe you can confirm this, uh, writers feel like they're on the outskirts, right? Because you're usually writing at home. You're not necessarily on set all the time. You're not really hanging out at all those different events. You're not mixing yourself with folks. And so there's a lot of young writers that are like, how do I get my stuff made? How do I meet a fucking director? Like, how do I find these folks? And if there were these events, someone listening, if there were these events that you were bringing these folks together, especially young kids together, you'll start to see relationships forming that create the best art possible specifically because it's a room full of passionate people that have their individual skills and tasks, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think right now the best place for that is probably the film festival circuit, you know, whether or not you have a film in there sure. showing up to the film festivals and the events and stuff is definitely a way to do that. But like, like a speed dating with the purpose of like, that's pretty cool. Um, I, I, I'm, like, Oh God, this is such a weird thing to say. I'm, I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm like very not in touch with that (laughs) part of things. Um, which is such a weird thing to say because in gearing up for this podcast because of the, you know, because of the, the, the title and, um, I've been thinking a lot about where I started, um, with all of this and Mm -hmm. it's weird to think now because I, I do, I remember, I remember, um, very vividly, uh, when I had just gotten out of grad school, I came back to New York, um, with my then husband at the time. And I ended up getting pregnant really quickly out of graduate school, which was terrifying. Oh my God. It must've been. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and my, uh, husband at the time and I, we were living in this, um, one bedroom apartment up in Washington Heights on, uh, on the East side, which mm-hmm. is the Dominican side, which mm-hmm. I loved. Mm-hmm. I'm, well, I mean, I'm part Dominican, but also like it reminded me of uh, growing up in Chelsea in the 80s. And like, there's always like music <laughs> around and um, good smells in the air. Yes. Um, but, you know, it was like it was that part of the island uh, was not gentrified. There wasn't um, there was one gym <laughs> and, I, and it was a it was a bodybuilding gym. Weird. That was a really rundown bodybuilding gym. And it had like old pictures of like Schwarzenegger on the walls and stuff. And <laughs> There were like a few women that worked out there, but n- not many, and none of them were pregnant. And uh, I remember people looking at me like, A, like, what are you doing here? And like, B, like, are you a liability? <laughs> um, the equipment was so old. And I would go to the gym 
uh, regularly and I was living up there. I think at the time I had managed to get a screenwriting job. Of course, it was like non-union because I was not part of the guild yet. Yeah, I was getting paid like a couple thousand dollars to like write a rough draft of this thing that was I was actually based on a comic book. So there it's like it all ties together. Um <laughs> But I really, I wasn't making any money at all. I wanted to go back to uh, waiting tables. But my husband at the time was like, don't do that. You just got out of grad school. I'm going to go work in a bar. And you, actually it was quite a nice restaurant he was working in. Um, and you just focus on, on writing and getting writing jobs. So that's what I did. And we had like no money at all. Mm-hmm. I remember like getting muffins from the gas station. That was like my big treat. I didn't, I had no idea at the time that I was gluten intolerant. No wonder I was like so sick. Um <laughs> But anyway, I remember going to this gym and every time I would go there and work out, I would listen to um, Ben Blacker's writer's writers panel. Mm -hmm. And I knew nothing about the business, but I would listen to these writers talk and I would I would fantasize um, in this in this old gym about the time that I would finally get my chance. And I I remember there were moments I would think, oh, my God, how how am I ever going to go from the inside of this crappy gym where I'm like currently laying on the floor trying to like do stretches like while not squashing the baby inside of me (laughs) Um, and having everyone stare at me and my like oversized t-shirt like sweating buckets (laughs) Um, in you know on the east side of Washington Heights and I know nobody how am I going to get in this door and just telling myself, like, just keep imagining it. Somehow it'll happen. If you just keep taking steps, somehow you'll get there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, I, I think, I think about that girl a lot. Um, and so then to like, hear myself say like, yeah, what you're talking about, Mike, sounds like really cool. Like somebody must be on that. I don't know. It's not my concern anymore. Like, I'm like, what happened? On the one hand, it's like, it's great. Like it did happen. Like I did get my foot in. I have the most, I I mean, I've worked, I worked on queen of the South after the arrangement. I worked with Mike. Sure. I mean, yeah, it was on the field of dreams that didn't go. Um, but who cares? Like Mm -hmm. I've worked, like massive names in television. I love these people. I'm like, I can, I can text them if I want. <laughs> I don't usually, cause I don't have anything to say and I'm nervous and it would be weird just to like text Mike sure for no reason. Um, but I could, <laughs> and that's amazing. But also I, I really don't want to lose touch with that girl in that gym who is like, how the fuck do I get in? Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, maybe we should both do our research and like see what we might be able to do that's like actually constructive yeah. for um, for people trying to get into this industry. Because you're right. Like, if you want to be um, – listen, as a writer, you can always write. And like, um, you know, Mike and I were talking – I don't know if we were recording at this time, but like when we first um, no. got onto the call, we weren't. But like make sure your scripts are in really, really good shape. Yeah. And then start asking people to read them. And when we talk about, this is what I used to do to make sure that my scripts were in good shape. I had the advantage of some of my samples had come from graduate school where I had like professors working with me on them and and stuff. But even then, like I wouldn't send them out to professionals yet. Mm -hmm. I would send them out to film festivals. And if I was placing, like placing then I I was like, okay, then I think this is ready to go. So like some of my pieces were like, you know, if they're finalists, semifinalists, quarterfinalists, I'm like, okay, I'm doing something right here. Like you can't, if you, if you know, you make it only past a certain stage. You you also don't throw the thing out because the people that are reading these scripts, they're just like you or not even, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. They, 
the these especially the preliminary readers for a lot of these festivals that they don't they, they don't always some of them are great some of them are not um so that's why if you want to know if a sample's ready send it and i know it costs money it's not a ton of money but it does cost money which can be prohibitive for some but i was dead broke and i was able to do this send it to a handful and if you place in one of them then it's a pretty good sign smart that um you're you're close to being able to send this thing out and have your friends read it. If you can have other, you know, like writers at your level read it or like, you know, someone with some training if you can, um, cause I find that's really constructive, but make sure it's good. And you can always get people to read your work. Even if you have to beg, borrow and steal, and don't be afraid to annoy people ever. Mm-hmm. I, I am so annoying. And <laughs> I think people find it endearing. That's probably not true, but I tell myself that so I can keep annoying them. Um, but like, really, if you send something, you send a, a follow up. Yeah. If someone says they're going to read something, follow up. Yes. Be, and, and, well, you have to give them at least two weeks is the cardinal rule. If it's a feature, then give them four. But follow up and stay on them. Yep. Um, until they until they read the damn thing. If they agree to read it, that's on them. And then if they have to come back to you and grovel and say, "I'm an asshole. I can't do this," then fine, move on. Um, but don't don't be afraid to to knock down those doors because I'm telling you, if if that if and I I, I would have those fears from time to time. But if I didn't push past them, I don't think I would have gotten anywhere. If I wasn't afraid to piss people off, if I wasn't afraid to hear no, I would probably, well, that gym is gone. Now there's like a 24-hour fitness, which is equally terrifying. <laughs> um, no, it's a planet fitness. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it's not even 24 hours. It's, so it's like a, it's like a purple, purple uh, hell over there is basically what it is. Yeah, it's a purple hell hole with like yeah. it, people who don't know how to use gym equipment um, yeah. that I swear are going to are doing real damage to themselves and like might do damage to you by proxy. I'm, I'm not sure. hundred um, percent. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I would have made it here if I wasn't afraid. I think that's great. That's great Thanks. advice. And that's, you know, that's, I, I have a couple friends that have done similar things as far as submitting to film festivals or writing competitions, like all that sort of stuff has been very successful. I know uh, my screenwriter, Will, has won the blacklist a few times, and he has gone through that process, which has been good for him. But I think what we were talking about offline, and just to sort of catch folks up with, and I think I might have said it on the show before, but I'm not sure. It's just, just know that if you're going to send something to someone to read, it's a task. And if it's a, if it's a short piece, it's not as much of a task, but even then, it still is. Like, if if... If I'm sending someone something to watch, it's a task. But at least they could sit there and mindlessly watch it if they want. But you still got to remind yourself, if I'm going to send them a script or piece or short film, they the best scenario for you is that they sit down unaffected by whatever bullshit they're yeah. going through that day to read your piece. Because whatever they're going through that day is going to filter into what they're fucking reading. And they may skim over your descriptions for things. They may get lost for things. So just try to find those people um, that are focused early on that can. And honestly, I forget who said it, but like your first fucking page, like if, if in your first page, you're writing something that is captivating and interesting, then you're good to go. Like it, like just make something that right off the bat, your friends come back to you and go, I, I love this. Like, I can't put this down. I love, it was a fast fucking read. And maybe they have a bunch of dumb notes because, you know, <laughs> they don't work in the business about specific things. You could just let those, you know, let those roll off your back. But make sure that your first page 
is fucking solid because I, that's what that's the first thing I do as a director. If I get something from someone and I get it and I go, all right, this person doesn't know how to format things, uh, and this is uh, all right, all right, let me try to make my way through this. And uh, okay, what? By the time you're on like page five, you're like, I, I feel terrible, but I, I'm having trouble getting through this. Or and the contrast is, I'll get a great script from a great screenwriter, and I'll go, holy shit. How many pages was that? That was 90 pages. I read that in 15 minutes. <laughs> like, how did I get through that so quick? So, you know, just be smart about stuff, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and certainly, you know, make sure that you're nailing the basics because it is kind of a downer when you've agreed to read something for somebody and you open it up and you're like, oh my God, this looks like I can't <laughs> make any sense out of this. Yeah. And even you could be telling an amazing story in an amazing way. But if it doesn't look familiar to us, like, and, and, and we're all a bunch of grownups and like, we get it and we don't want to be judging based on that, but it does, it's like a heart sinker because you're just assuming based on what it looks like that it's not going to be good. Yeah. I, I know. And I'm, I'm the first person to tell you that's like, that's shitty and I've done it and that's shitty of me, but we do it <laughs> being but, honest. But wait, 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 wait. I don't think it is because look, if I know for you fucking be able to look past that, I mean, I've also, I've also taught writing. Yeah. So you certainly cannot do that as a teacher. Like as a teacher, you have to be like, okay, like I'm going to, obviously this is a mess. Like I have to teach this person how to format, but then you have to like look for the story underneath it. Um, but it is, look, I, it, uh, I won't judge myself. It, it is what it is. I've been asked to read a lot of things, but something else, Mike, that we should mention that mm -hmm. we mentioned before we were recording that um, I'm realizing now makes it a lot harder for screenwriters that and television writers that are coming up now is that they've they've uh, basically put tighter and tighter restrictions on professional writers, directors, producers, etc., um, for reading things that don't come from our rest. Yes. Reps. yes. Yes. So it's harder and harder for us to read things that come from like, you know, friends or especially like people who are like, maybe, maybe like, um, I, I speak at festivals, you know, every once in a while. And like, people will come up to me afterwards and say, like, I have such and such. Can you read it? Like, I'm just meeting you now. I actually can't read your script because if somewhere down the line, if you sent it to me, even if I don't open it, which is what Mike was saying before, like yeah. if something pops up in one of my projects that is similar to something that you have written and you come after me for it, yep. then I could be liable. Meanwhile, what, what I think you don't realize until you've been in the business for a while is that like everything exists in the zeitgeist. There's nothing mm -hmm. that you can put on a page. That's not going to turn up somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Some stories have been stolen. Absolutely. But, you know, I'm talking about like parts of scenes, maybe even like small exchanges of dialogue, even, you know, high concept ideas. I came up, I came up with this idea that I thought was like the most original thing ever. <laughs> and I pitched it to um, Jake Thomas at Humanoids, who's like, again, I, I've said his name twice now because I'm like totally obsessed with him. He like knows everything about comic books and he's one of the best people in his in his field and I think just an amazing storyteller in general. Mm -hmm. But he's like, oh yeah, well, they kind of did that in this book. And I was like, oh my God, how could that be? <laughs> um, so, you know, it's not your idea is not going to be the thing. It's always going to be how you tell it. Exactly. Um, exactly. So, but still, I think a lot of people, like, they're not aware of that. And even though, like, yes, if something like that came to litigation, I would probably beat you. 
Um, because a judge would be like, oh, well, yeah, that kind of shit just happens. Like we both would have been put through a lot of bullshit in the yes. meantime, with, yes. like emotional and scary and everything else having to deal with that. And I'm t- my lawyer does not want to have to do that. She's quite busy. <laughs> so, and she only makes 5% when I'm working. So she really, and if it's a comic book thing, she really doesn't want to be doing yeah. that. So, um, Cause 5% of a comic book is not sending my lawyer to Cabo, which is where she deserves to be all the time. Um, it's free like, issues. Um, it's free issues of the comic book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's her payment. <laughs> he gets comp copies <laughs> and gives me the middle finger. Um, yeah, yeah. These are great. Olivia. Thank you. I can't even sell these on eBay. Um, yeah. But, but uh, yeah, so it is, it's getting harder and harder to get read. So yeah, my, I think what you're saying about, you know, writers getting out there, making short films, working with directors, like it's, it's going to become, uh, I think more and more necessary if you can't just write this thing and bully people into reading it. Like I did. Well, I mean, look, I think that the powerhouse combination, especially in our current, in the current state of our fucking media right now, the, the, and being a guy who goes out and pitches pieces all the time and understands how timid production companies are, it doesn't matter. And I've had directors on the show that have done, uh, you know, men and women that have shot amazing pieces that can't get a fucking second job right now. I mean, I posted yeah. last week about Guillermo del Toro getting turned down on five fucking movies, and he's Academy Award winning director right now. The, the business is so fucking timid. Right oh, now. well, it's crazy right now. Yeah. And it, it, for a lot of reasons. Sure. I mean, I, I was pitching things even um, before the holidays because of this pending strike. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I think it's been since probably been since last fall that everything just started grinding to a halt. And it, it, but no, I mean, listen, you know, these executives that are hearing pitches, like they still have jobs, they'll do their jobs. And no one's going to say that we're not buying anything because that looks really bad. They're not, they're, I don't even know if they can say that. So, yeah. you know, they're technically hearing pitches, but no one's buying anything because I, they, I think they all knew that the industry was going to freeze for a while. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, nobody knows anything. And anyone who claims to know anything about when the strike is going to be over is full of shit. Um, but I, I, I don't think it's going to end tomorrow. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. <laughs> like, I think that there are a lot of factors in play and I think that, um, uh, a lot of it's financially motivated to the extent mm-hmm. that a lot of these companies would, they, they're, it's, it's, it's helping them not spending this money right now. We'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that they're incentivized um, to keep this going as long as they have to um, for reasons that might not even have anything to do with what uh, the WGA and soon SAG is going to be asking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's been a very strange time in this industry. And um, again, grateful for the ability to write comics because no one, I mean, I've heard of like, I've heard of, and I don't even know these people. I've heard of two people who sold shows since last fall. Yeah. So I agree with all that. And I think that, you know, I guess. And of course, teachers as well, because anything, any, for those of you who don't know, like any project that involves union writers has been shut down right now. I think there's, um, 
Last I heard, there were like, I, I knew of two shows that were still shooting, but they've probably been shut down as well at this yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but films are, films are the same, right, Mike? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, okay. And so what's. Unless they're coming out of the country. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. That's a big thing, too, by the way. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess to wrap up that point was that, you know, if you're a young writer right now, because a lot of young writers are listening to the show. If you're a young writer right now, the thing to do and understand that like now's not the time to go try to pitch your big ideas. If you can team up, this is what I'm saying. If you can fucking team up with a with a director that you respect that's young and they're they're hungry because we're all fucking hungry. We're all in the same boat. And you guys can start creating your own content your own short form content. You guys are making stuff. You guys are putting together a, a YouTube channel. You guys are doing a fucking TikTok, whatever the shit is. And you're creating this content together and you're working it out. You're learning how to communicate with each other. You're learning how the visual language works on the page. You're putting all these things together. Next thing you know, uh, you're creating content that is that they'll come to you for. And there are, yeah. there are entire departments at agencies and at uh, production companies that hunt for people like you that are creating your own content, that are building your own audience base. And I don't care what anybody says. The most valuable thing that you can have in this business is your own fucking audience. And if you're building your audience uh, through writing comic books, if you're building your audience through creating uh, TikTok videos, as long as you have people that and you don't need millions you need a few thousand people that are willing to spend $20 a month on something for you you've become a fucking commodity you've become a valuable asset you've become an actor that suddenly has more value than Brad Pitt because you get more likes on the internet on this stuff so be smart about that shit especially in t in times like this where you can't do anything professionally now anyways so find those directors, find those people. And those of you listening to the show, check out the comments that happen on my Instagram because there's an, a, a boatload of talented young directors that are like, I don't know how to write my own stuff. How do I find a writer? I get these all the time, these messages all the time. Where do I get a writer? You can do this. And I think if, you're, if you go down this path right now, especially during this freeze, you'll come out of the back end with new content and understanding of how to write stuff that can be shot and then on top of everything, maybe you've built an audience and you've got value beyond just the stuff that you put on the page, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think, you know, and sometimes, listen, like production costs can be kind of daunting. Um, if you if you can't shoot something, then team up with a director and do an audio project. Yes. Um, narrative uh, podcast I've been listening to recently because I listen, I want to write everything. I get excited about everything, <laughs> especially areas where you can create your own IP. And when I say that, it's because um, in television, yes, you you can you can go pitch new ideas, but you have a much better chance of selling those ideas, at least right now, um, if it's based on pre-existing intellectual property, like a book, a comic book, um, a short film, a documentary, uh, something like that that has existed before. You'll mm -hmm. have a much better chance of selling it and it's it's incremental it's not insignificant so any chance that i see now to create my own content whether it be in comic books which i'm doing or you know in the audio space i, I get really curious about it because i am you know 
I, I, I love writing on staff also. Like I, I'm, I love like mimicking other people's um, voices for shows. I love bringing myself to other people's ideas, mm-hmm. but I am at my heart, a creator. Um, and the audio space is fascinating it's right now. Um, and fun. you can, you know, you can create pitches and you can go, um, you can create a pitch for an audio series and you can put a bunch of visuals in it. Um, Mike was describing some ways you might be able to do that earlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, or, you know, or you can do what I think everyone is kind of vying for right now. And like, if you can like find a friend who's an artist and can create some of these things for you, but if you're just going to rip them off the internet, then there's ways that you can make them a little bit more specific to you. Exactly. Um, and you can, you can pitch to Spotify, you know, yep. you can get something in, you can, um, something that people are doing now in these pitches that I'm learning about, I haven't done it yet, but it sounds super exciting is you can like record, um, you know, like the first like five minutes of what your audio series might sound like and just produce five minutes yep. and you can pitch it and you can get paid to make it or, Hey, you can make the whole thing yourself and put it online. Yeah. Um, and then, so and then sell it and then fucking sell it. Then Joe Rogan, that shit, when you're done with it and make, make twice the money. <laughs> If you do it yourself, like, well, maybe not Joe Rogan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I don't, I, I've, I've always had like, I've had mixed feelings about Joe Rogan since I realized like how much he was influencing the public discourse. And then I was like, wait sure. a minute, but like Joe Rogan didn't ask for that. No. Joe Rogan's just being like the truest version of Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan can be, and I might not always agree with Joe Rogan, but I respect Joe Rogan. Well, yeah, and let me be clear. When I said Joe Rogan that, I don't mean Joe Rogan's politics. I just mean the- No, you mean like become immensely influential and listened to. (laughs) Well, yeah, but also he was just a dude. Like you go back and look at the history of podcasting. I mean, the comedians, the comedian circuit made podcasting what it is. And when you go back and you look, he was just a guy that was like, I like microphones. I like this stuff. He toyed around with that medium and figured out how to make that medium work for him. And- if you are looking at success stories right now, definitely look towards the comedians that are in the podcast realm. I'm friends with Tom Segura and Christina Przinsky and their YMH show. Holy shit. They have built an entire empire around uh, their little podcast that they did in their basement. And they have built an audience base. They sell tickets to their shows. And if you're, uh, if you're really fucking smart about this stuff, you can be creating content specifically for these different mediums, whether it's comic books or podcasts or everything else, with the intent, like myself, who is a filmmaker, knowing that like, hey, look, I'm building an audience with all of this. And this is an audience that wants to hear more from us and more more from our stories and will go and support us. And so, you know, walking into a space and, you know, like that's how I got, you know, Ridley Scott's company to sign on to 12 Cam, a, a proof of concept was because of that. So- it, it can be done creatively uh, and smartly. And the best- With very little money as well. Yes. And the best part about it is if you truly, truly are focused in the moment and you're not obsessed with like, I need to fit into this, this idea that I had of what this industry was when I was a kid, because most of that stuff that we all grew up thinking this business was, was bullshit. It doesn't actually it doesn't actually <laughs> exist. So, like, if you have a good time making a podcast, you can have a fucking awesome time doing a scripted podcast with sound effects. You can make it sound like a fucking Michael Bay movie, and it'll cost yeah. it'll cost you pennies to do that. Um, and people will tune in. It's one of the biggest 
I mean, how many people listen? We're an hour and 20 minutes and you're still listening to the show right now. Like it's a huge, <laughs> it's a huge format, you know? Yes. And, and narratively too, I mean, it doesn't just have to be, you know, um, talking heads or, you know, you don't have to come up with like, you know, some interesting show idea to interview people. Yeah. Um, the narrative, the narrative world of podcasting is very, very interesting. Yes. Um, and I've just recently taken a dive into it. Look into um, immersive immersive narrative podcast and you're like holy shit some of them actually like they're about people losing their minds and you feel like you're going crazy listening to them it's it's really badass actually i love it dude believe it or not i, I can't really talk about too much of it but we've pitched on a few of those <laughs> so yeah like oh, really yeah oh yeah oh yeah like soft voice i was like oh my god this is so cool yeah. it's so cool um yeah but yeah there's a there, there's a lot of places out there to start where you can get your your content out there and you can you know it, you can do animated shorts too that's another thing oh dude if you can find an animator or there's you know there's various programs out there if you're i mean i'm kind of like a tech nut like i love I love instant gratification. I used to write for Episode Interactive when I was like just out of grad school, which is like, it's like an app for tweens where you write, you write all the dialogue, but then you actually animate the characters through their portal. It's really super neat. Oh, cool. I still have a story on there. My, my daughter was like, she was looking at my phone. She's like, you have Episode? And I was like, yeah, I used to write for episodes. She's like, oh my God, what story? I'm like, well, bad boy batch. She's like, oh my God, I'm reading that. I'm like, oh my God. Um, That's so, so wonderful. Yeah. And, and stuff like that. Like there are a lot of opportunities for up and coming writers in the tech space. Yes. Um, some of them over the years, like they've gotten a little bit more closed off to freelance writers. Mm -hmm. I think because of their, their business model makes it difficult or something so they need to do in-house, but like that could change tomorrow too. You never know. Mm -hmm. And you know, when Mike was saying about like the, the industry isn't what you fantasized mm -hmm. that it was maybe um, for some of you who like didn't grow up in the industry and don't know the ins and outs, but I will tell you like, this is a beautiful place to be. I, I think that it gets a bad rap sometimes like, yes, there are egomaniacs and like, Yes, there are nutcases and, you know, people who stop maturing at 12. Um, but <laughs> it's also filled with, like, amazing, yes. intelligent, creative people um, who who genuinely love what they do and they, they want you to come be a part of this. Like, if you are intensely creative and, and excited about – I just talked to this girl who actually coincidentally um, is going to Oberlin as well because I'm an Oberlin grad mm – -hmm. And she was saying, like, she just wants to write everything. And she's just so excited to get out there in the world. Like, we want you here. Mm -hmm. This Hollywood is not, especially in television, I have to tell you, like, because writers can hire writers in television and we can really support each other and be there for each other. It's 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 inclusive and it's like supportive and it's loving and we want the best for one another hollywood is not like i i think when i was coming up i'm like from new york too so i would like see palm trees and like the closed paramount mm -hmm. gates and just like imagine myself like standing out there with like a with like a you know a, like a shitty sandwich just like waiting for <laughs> someone to open it so that i would like not starve and come in like i think you know we we imagine that hollywood is this closed gate you need a password community um and that it's really really hard to get in if you think that way you're gonna struggle we want you here we want you here if you want to tell great stories like come on in let's fucking do this it's also not a business of scarcity I, people love to say that there's only a certain amount of jobs for a certain amount of people that's bullshit if mm -hmm. you are a great storyteller there will be room for you mm -hmm. there will be 
and and if you practice and you're passionate and you hone your craft and you love it, um, you're you're gonna get there. You just have just know it um, because I think more and more what's happening is that at least what I'm feeling and Mike, I don't know if you've been feeling the same way, but like that that like old guard of like 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 crusty angry people Mm -hmm. in Hollywood like Mm -hmm. really seems to be really seems to be fading out yeah you know it's it's weird because I haven't all right this is I'm gonna tiptoe so I am a dude that that came from the East Coast as well. So I'm originally from Boston. And so my first, you know, 19 years of my career were there on the East Coast. And oh, wow. when I look at, when I looked at LA, I was always like, fuck LA. That was always my thing. <laughs> I knew that was coming. It was always my thing. And it was always like, fuck LA. Now, maybe I would say that maturing, uh, a lot of that had some fear in there, right? Because there's a sense of fear of rejection and all that sort of stuff. And LA was like the place to go to be judged ultimately whether or not your stuff is good, you know? Um, but there was a sense of me being like, you know, fuck this and fuck all that stuff. But that being said, um, we also, whenever I would meet people from Los Angeles, they were the nicest folks. They were the nicest individuals that were very willing and uh, hoping that you were going to step up by giving you the opportunity to do so. But at the same level, the only time I've ever encountered those crusty old motherfuckers, they're the the the, the top end of the gate, and I still kind of think they're there. They just they've done like a really good job of hiring entire departments in front of them that kind of hide right. them from it so they're kind of like well no come on into our building look how diverse our room is but all these people that are in that room that have been told that they have you know power to approve and power to do things they still have to go knock on that guy's door and he's like yeah whatever you know what i mean so they'll eventually die they're getting old (laughs) you know (laughs) they're getting old they're gonna drop off it's gonna happen um and i think that the thing that's very exciting for me is that if you can build a brand for yourself as a storyteller, and if you- Which you can totally do now, by the way. Yes. And it like, I heard a quote from James Gunn, and he was recently talking um, on a podcast. Uh, he actually talked about his, his quick cancellation that happened with it. And he said, look, the only reason why I survived that was because- uh, of my relationships, my real relationships with people. And he said that the the ability that I had, he's like, I had all these people coming to me at a time period when, you know, everybody's afraid of you when you're in that situation. So they're going to run the other direction. (laughs) I had all these people coming to me because they loved me as a human being, because I genuinely love these, these people. And I genuinely treat people with respect. I genuinely treat people like other human beings. And I don't, make decisions on people specifically. I mean, every, everybody does something selfishly for one reason or another, but I don't just do it because selfishly I want you to do well. It's I genuinely like to be around you as a human. And yeah. I, I think this is something that I've always done. And I detest people that are 
so insecure and they're soloing people out or keeping people down. I detest that shit. And I've never been that individual. I don't care what color or where you come from or where your history is. If you're a fun person to be around, if you're an inspiring person to be around, if you tell stories, if you've got some balls and you have the ability to stand up for your stories and back that stuff up, that is, that is the person I want to go into battle with on any fucking project. And that has always been my philosophy with stuff. And I love the fact that in our industry right now, we're having these pillars of folks that do that, that are now going to become the new Hollywood. That is going to become what it is. Um, And it's no longer going to be this old school boys club. And without going too deep into it, because our show is almost done, but you look at the history of Hollywood and how Hollywood was created and what was happening at that time period and what was happening with the war in that time period and everything else, you kind of understand why it became sort of this gated, crazy community, but that's completely fucking outdated at this point. And I think um, this new world, as long as that pendulum lands in the middle somewhere, and as long as we're all being inclusive for real, and I think as long as we're all just sort of respecting creativity and imagination and, and human relationships, because dude, when we're, when they're putting us in the fucking grave, like when when you're when you're getting buried at the end of your life, uh, or if you're on your deathbed, you're not you, the things you're going to remember are the little moments that you spent with the people that you work with, and that to me is the most important thing is sort of setting up all those relationships, all that fucking like who I have beers with and who we ate this meal with and how much fun was it to be in the writer's room for fucking this amount of time and breaking a story or, or on set and, and like stumbling across like something an actor did that changed the entire sequence. And now everybody comes together to make that work. That's why we fucking do this shit. Yeah. And, and I, I, I just, I hope, I know that there's a lot of hot topic clickbait things out there where people are like, it's all about me and I have to be aggressive. No, no, no. Be inclusive for real and really understand what it's like to, to, to love people and to share with people and to make things together. And I think you'll have a very healthy career if you do that. I completely agree with that. I, I do have to say, though, um, that on my deathbed, <laughs> I will also be thinking about the time I spent with my children. Um, I have to say that for, for their sake. Um, but yes, also the people that I love to work with. And that really is a massive sentiment in the industry these days. I know so many people whose rule of thumb is I won't work with assholes. Yeah. And it's, um, it's changing the business one asshole at a time. And it really is. It, it, if you want to be here, if you want it bad enough and you're willing to work for it, you will get here. And it it can be it can be frustrating and it can be stressful and it can be all the things that come with having a career in the arts because this really is the arts, even though it's like big business arts. It's the arts. Um, but it really is. It's a fantastic place to be. And I am grateful every single day um, for the opportunities that I've had and getting to talk to people like you, Mike. Mm. And um, yeah, this is just, this has been awesome. And thank you, um, thank you so much for being on the show. It, no, again, I said this at the beginning, uh, but now I mean it because we did it. Uh, but thank you for having me. This is, um, it's great. It's great to just have a candid conversation about, you know, careers in the business and, um, and also to have it with someone who, who shares a certain like zest for being here. <laughs> because it's, we're so lucky. Yeah. 
You're so lucky. This is a it's it's a beautiful, beautiful business that we got to um we we, we got to muck around in, like uh. kind of for our whole lives and like make enough of a living that we can like, you know, shit around with stuff like this. So it's like it's so cool. I appreciate it, man. And and I am excited for the the new books that you're doing, and uh, I am. Yes, de- yes. Um, I think the first of the Winks books has to be out by Christmas. So okay. this December, um, 2023, that first Winks book uh, by Maverick, which is the um, it's like the kids section of Mad Cave. I'm probably saying that wrong, but. Um, mm-hmm. Companies Maverick uh, should be should be on shelves, and then everything else will probably have to wait for because things move slowly. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's coming, and I'm excited for you. It's all coming. Yes, and I've got some horror for you, Mike. We we have to have a separate like off off mic conversation. All right. Well, let me wrap up the show off up. Mike then... conversation. Yes. You and I will talk. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Olivia, for being on the show. Thank you. Bye. There it is. Um, man, I like her a lot. And uh, I like how uh, passionate she is about writing and uh, how passionate Olivia is about telling stories. Um, and I really like her outlook on Hollywood. And I like, uh, you know, what she hopes Hollywood becomes. And I, I, I don't think it's that far off, man. I honestly feel like our business is as long as, and I said it at the end of that episode, as long as it's in your heart, if you truly are someone that wants to collaborate as an artist with other people, because if you don't, if you don't want to be a collaborator, there are plenty of mediums out there where you don't have to do that. You know, go pick up oil painting, you know, go pick up, uh, you know, wood sculpting or, or, or um, you know, woodworking. Do something that just requires you to take whatever that vision is and you put it through your own hands, right? Because those they exist. Um, but if you're someone that wants to learn from the people you work with, if you're someone that wants to be inspired and surprised by the people that you work with, if you want to take an idea which is roughly formed in your mind, and maybe it's a visual, maybe it's a line of dialogue, it's just this rough little idea, and you want to see it transformed, by the people that you're working with, filmmaking is a great thing. You know, recording podcasts is a great thing. Writing comic books is a great thing. You know, there's there's a lot of these collaborative fields out there that will make your life better. And and we hinted at this, but the byproduct of that collaboration is relationships. So most of the time, the great relationships, but even sometimes the bad relationships spawn great things. The byproduct of collaboration is interacting with your fellow man and woman, the people that surround you. Uh, I love that about our business. That's why I'm in it. I love meeting new folks. And I say it all the time. I like cooking for people. I like eating food with people. I like going on adventures with people. Because that's what we're doing, right? We're living our life. And, you know, it's completely different than the career path that my dad had. It's completely different than the career path that his father had. There's different time periods, different goals for the country, different goals for us as human beings. And now we live in a period of time where we have the ability to do this. We don't have to go work a nine to five job. We don't have to be clocked in at some factory somewhere that we really don't like. Like the, this world that we live in right now, the, 
you get paid to imagine things. You get paid to put things out there. You get paid to collaborate with folks. You get paid to create moods and vibes and worlds. That's exciting shit, especially for a little nerd like me that uh, had his brain filled with all sorts of adventures when I flipped through those books. <laughs> those books with uh, greatly disproportionate women on them. <laughs> That's Olivia pointed it out. It's very true. I, I, you know, and I've said it on the show before, like being a kid that luckily I had sisters because I, I understood how um, the female species worked because of my sisters. But if I didn't, and I grew up just reading comic books, I would have been completely disproportionate to how people are in real life and how women are in real life. I would have been like, Whoa, how did, wait a minute, but Mary Jane and Spider-Man was always like this. <laughs> but I guess the same thing could be said, you know, for, for young girls that grow up uh, watching Disney movies and and uh, craving the Disney princess life, you know. It's so funny how the stuff that we make influenced us and how much it shaped us as a culture, right? And we're seeing that now. You know, the adults, the grown-ups, the over 40s that were raised on cartoons that were essentially commercials for toys, you know. Mike, don't get into a tangent. <laughs> You're ending the episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you loved it. A um, lot more great episodes on the way. I just sent out multiple invites for new guests, and some of them I'm very excited about. I can't talk about them unless they book it. Once they book it, once I get them on the show, we can talk about it. I don't want to jinx it, but there's lots of fun stuff on the way. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. And as always, I will see you next Tuesday. Bye.